panel in a minute. But um, this is something I wish I'd known about earlier. Capitalize. It's an advisor-led funding platform. So this is giving accountants, over 1,600 accountancy practices around the UK, a tool to help their clients navigate all of the funding options that you may be considering. So to tell us more about how they're doing it, because the big goal, I guess, of Capitalize is to help 10,000 accountants to help their clients get better access to finance. So get a sense of the big picture, what's out there, what's possible. The head, of, uh, the head of education at Capitalize is Phil Hobden, and he is our speaker who I'd like you to welcome right now. Please welcome Phil. Thank you, Phil. Welcome. Shaking hands. Is that still loud? Awesome. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a real pleasure to be here uh, talking to you guys about business and finance. This is something that is uh, very passionate to me um, through what I do. So, a little bit about me. thought Get to know me a little bit before I start. So I am a father of one human being and some very, very expensive animals. I can highly recommend if any of you have a horse, don't do it. I've never known anything like it. Um, but actually, brilliant intro, but for what I do for a day job, uh, I am the head of education for Capitalize.com, an advisor-led funding platform. And for the majority of what I do, I'm out on the road talking to accountants to help them better help their clients around funding and their funding journey. Now, I host numerous sessions through the weeks on what we do, how we do it, and actually how to have those deeper conversations with your clients. And I always start with a really fun exercise. I always get them to tell me a fun fact about them. Now, I'm not going to do that in this room. Obviously, far too many of you to do that. But I thought it might be good for you to get to know me to learn a fun fact about me, something deep, something meaningful, something that might help you get to know me as a person. And here it is. I was partly responsible for helping steps reform. No, seriously. So we had a, I had a film and media company, and um, we had a member of steps in one of our projects, which is fantastic, fantastic actor. And about the time we were looking to release the film, someone said to me, said, well, we need to drum up some publicity. We need to do something that's a little different. I've got a great idea. Now, when a PR person comes to you and says they have a great idea, run. Run really fast, because generally it means there's going to be a whole lot of trouble that follows. And it was. So uh, we leaked, we, they, leaked the story that Steps were reforming, and um, after we got what could best be described as a very large telling off, um, they got talking again and Steps reformed. So, don't thank me, it's okay, but I was partly responsible for Steps reforming. Um, but actually, in terms of me, my background's quite eclectic, so I'm now working for Capitalize, but actually, as I said, I ran my own business for about eight years, and sadly, I couldn't make that business work. The industry we were in, film and television, was a changing industry. And with the death of firms like Blockbuster and even Woolworths and their distribution chain, and the rise of streaming platforms, we just couldn't make that work. Which was sad, because ultimately we worked with some great people. At the same point, my wife was pregnant, and I decided that it was probably good to go and get a proper job. Right? A job that was going to be a career, a job that was going to pay the wages for many, many years to come. And I decided to join banking about 2010. 
maybe not the best time to join banking, right? So I, I went into banking and I kind of, I did some consulting with HSBC and then I actually went on to work for the RBS group, so Lombard being a brand of RBS group. Um, and <laughs> this job for life turned out not to quite be a job for life. In fact, uh, I don't know if it was personal, but I worked across three or four different departments and it seemed like every time I started in a new department, that department got shut down um, and brought into another department. And after that journey, I was like, do you know what? I've spent some time in banking and finance. Uh, it's given me a great understanding, but I kind of think I want to go and do something a bit more dynamic, a bit more interesting. And that's kind of what brought me into working in fintech space. So we work in, uh, Capitalize is a funding-led platform, predominantly working with accountants. We have direct channel as well. But ultimately, we're here to try and help accountants better understand finance so they can help you better understand finance and the options available. So this session and the panel that follows is about finance, about assets, and about banking. But for me to understand where banking is going, we need to look at where it was and where it is now. So a question for you. Who here knows the name of their bank manager? Hands up. Few people. Okay, interesting. Well, actually, if you kind of uh, ask around, and we've done some research on this, 90% of SMEs don't know or have a relationship with their bank manager. 90%. Now, 15, 20 years ago, actually that number was closer to 15 or 20% that didn't know their bank manager. Now think of the impact of that, right? So you're looking to grow your business, you're looking to grow what you do, you're looking to expand, you're looking to take on new finance. Well, of course, you can go onto Google, and I've got some great stats about that one later on, but actually, who can you talk to? Who can you have a conversation with? Because actually, do you want to phone a call center with someone that doesn't understand your business, doesn't understand where the business is or where it's gone? But it's not surprising, right? Because the industry, banking as a whole, has changed massively over that period as well. And this is some of those wonderful headlines that have kind of been filling our screens and our, our social media for the last 15 odd years. And this isn't changing. Banks are not coming back to the high street. And the industry looks considerably different today than it did back then. So we've gone through deregulation. We've gone through crashes and branch closures, and that carries on. In fact, this is my old bank. My old bank's now a fish and chip restaurant. If anyone here is from Brighton, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bankers. It's in, um, it's in Brighton, uh, between Brighton and Hove. Uh, and it is actually one of Brighton's best fish and chip restaurants. It was, it was, it, thank you, see? Validation from one of my future panellists. Um, but actually, that used to be a Lloyds Bank, right? So that used to be a bank that I went to when I was a student, and I had all my bank accounts with it, and I had a business team, and it went, and it disappeared. Does anyone want to kind of guess how many bank branches have closed in the last 15 years? Anyone want to throw out some numbers? Anyone? 500. 5,000. Oh. 5, okay, now we're getting a bit closer. 10,000. Okay, not, not too far off. Actually, 16,000, 15, 16,000 bank branches have closed in the past 15 to 20 years. How many relationship and bank managers have gone? 
People that used to serve your businesses, all the people that didn't put their hands up, that used to serve your businesses, how many of them do we think have gone along with those branch closures? And we're talking quite conservatively here. 40,000, actually that's not far off. So we estimate that 55,000 bank managers and relationship managers have left the high street. And along with that, 15 to 16,000 bank branches have closed. And actually, that's not going to change, right? We're not putting new people back onto the high street. And if you have a relationship manager, it probably means that you have a turnover in excess of three to four million. And certainly with some banks, it could be five to 10 million. If you have an RM under that amount, the chances are they're probably just there to sell products. Right? They probably don't have that understanding or knowledge about cash flow, about balance sheets, about what makes your business work. There's a couple of different impacts on this. Firstly, there's an impact in that loss of connection and relationship, right? So we all know that what makes that relationship between like that personal touch that really helps businesses get to understand where they're going and help banks understand what we're doing. And actually, you know, having that understanding of the seasonality of what you do, that the business is stronger than the current challenge it faces, well, that's gone. Secondly is a loss of skill, and this comes in many different ways. It's a loss of core banking skills, but also it's a loss of technology skills. So, when I work for one of the banks I work for, we had to ask the question, where's Graham? Now, you might ask, where is Graham? Well, the answer was Graham had retired. Why do I care about Graham, right? There's lots of Grahams. But actually, it turned out that I had a client, um, and he wanted to do this one specific thing, this one specific product. And no one in the entire bank had an idea of how to do this. And I spent weeks researching this, and it was totally the right product for them. I spent weeks researching it, looking into it, trying to find the right person. And it turned out we'd made them all redundant. Literally, everyone that had access to that system and knew how it worked had been let go by the bank. Yet, we needed this system. So, I, <laughs> Graham was a colleague of mine, and I ended up having to go out and, and phone Graham and say, hey, Graham, I know we made you redundant and you've retired now, but any chance you could come back and do some consulting work for us? Because I need you to teach us how to use this product that you used to use, because actually, no one else can do it. And thankfully, Graham relented and he came back. Um, it cost the bank quite a bit of money, I think, if I remember rightly. But he came back and he showed us how to use that system. But this massive skill gap. Now, actually, that bank had over 1,200 different computer systems. And some of them were used for one or two products that were used once or twice a year, and none of them talked to each other. So access on one system didn't give you access to another. But actually, the challenge faced by banking are not just about shrinking real estate and skills. It's also about product and product distribution. That's what banks look like in terms of product distribution, right? Deposits, credit, treasury management, capital markets, investment, insurance. Now, actually, if you've shrunk your employees from 100,000, 150,000 down to 50,000, a lot of the skill base around that's gone. And actually, the ability to do all of that well just doesn't exist anymore. 
And as we've seen with many kind of scandals and, and issues with banks since the recession, that skill base, that knowledge just isn't there anymore. So, interesting fact for you, 70% of German companies still use a fax. Because actually, do you know what the third, uh, third challenge of a bank and banking is these days? It's around technology. Now, <laughs> I work for a bank, might have mentioned that once or twice, but that bank still use faxes on a daily basis. In fact, faxes were deemed to be insecure. So not only did we use faxes, but we actually had to get someone to watch us send the fax. We then had to fill in a form to say that we sent the fax to the right number. They had to co-sign that form. That form then had to go on to record for two years and be held in a box just in case there was an issue with the fax that we sent. My counter to this was, by the way, I said, well, so few people use faxes, what are the odds of us actually being able to send a fax and it going through to someone that still has a fax machine? Apparently that didn't work. But to send one fax would take upwards of an hour for one fax. And this is what banking still looks like. I frame this as what it was, but actually that bank still use fax machines. They still have those challenges. And those tech challenges are, are the reason why the merger of banks such as Santander and RBS just couldn't happen. They just couldn't get the tech, uh, the tech to work out. So what does banking look like now? Well, actually, banking is changing, and we're very much at the precipice of a new form of banking, right? So whilst the banks have retrenched from the high street and they've closed branches and that skill base has gone, a lot of those same lenders are now coming back to banking, back to finance, with digital products. They're using platforms such as ours, such as Capitalize.com, to actually reduce their cost of acquisition and therefore be able to offer a better and more innovative suite of products. So actually, whilst your bank may not have a high street branch in your town anymore, chances are they still want to lend. And of course, we've got some great new banks that have risen out of the ashes of our traditional banking system. So the Tides, the Monzos, the Starling Banks. Starling Bank also have the best social media of any bank ever. They're, they're so good. They sent me a pair of socks for complimenting them. I mean, like for someone that really likes colourful socks, uh, straight to my heart, that one. But banking's in a time of kind of revolution, evolution and disruption. You've got traditional banks that are trying to become challenger banks. So anyone knows who owns market finance? Barclays. Market finance and Barclays. Esme? It's a NatWest brand. And Rapid Cash, obviously, I think, gives that away by the picture. But again, a, um, another brand, another digital brand of those businesses. So you, you have a traditional banks that realize that they now have to fight on a completely different battleground. So they're bringing these digital, innovative products to market, or buying them. Then you've got the neobanks, the Monzos, the Tides, the Revoluts, the Starlings, N26 up until a couple of weeks ago. These banks that have actually come out of people that have been in banking, that have been in finance, that have been through these struggles and challenges, and actually those great people that have left have decided, actually, we can do this differently. And actually, all of those banks are fantastic. So innovative in their approach and what they do. But you've also got 
the fall of the traditional high street banks at the same time. So HSBC, Halifax Cooperative Bank, RBS, all these banks have become a decreasing force on the high street. The interesting thing is, every one of these banks, even the ones that are not so successful at the moment, are desperately trying to get into that challenger bank market. So RBS launched Bow. I think it's Bow. I think that's how you pronounce it. Bow. A couple of months ago. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. HSBC have two whole floors in London just dedicated to driving technological innovation in the banking sector. Two whole floors. I went there once. It was fantastic. It was a load of people with fantastic ideas. I haven't seen anything from that yet, but I'm sure when they do, it'll be quite interesting. So banks are now having to compete on a different market. You've got some that are leading the way, some that have come out of the ashes of other banks, and some that are kind of still looking for the way of how they're going to do this. And actually, there's a huge challenge out there for you as business owners and for all the business owners in the UK, because there's a paradox of choice. There's 360 lenders in the UK alone. 360. That's an insane amount of lenders. If you're thinking about, you go onto Google and you search asset finance loan, half of these wouldn't come up on page 10. But that's the reality. There's 50-odd banks in the UK, and this is going to keep going and keep going and keep going. So here's some interesting stats and figures about SME behaviors. This is a core part of what I do when I go out to talk to accountants. I'm kind of driving the thought process that actually a lot of SMEs need that help not just into what finance is, but the behaviors around it. So there's 55 billion of SME lending in the UK as of now. But actually, the good story on that is 80% of the 5.7, 5.8 million SMEs in the UK are actually profitable. But 36% of SMEs still use an overdraft or a credit card to run their business. 47% of SMEs won't borrow money. And on top of this, a third of all payments are late. And worse still, 78% of SMEs hold less than £10,000 on account. Really scary figures, right? Because actually, this paints a picture of businesses, SMEs being successful, being profitable, but being incredibly fragile. But it's fine, because when you look for finance, you all have the best behaviours, right? You all do it months before you need it, and SMEs do it and plan well in advance and, and do all those great behaviours. Not always. In fact, the majority of SMEs will only start looking for finance seven days before they need it. Seven days. Who here has been on holiday in the past 12 months? Yeah, most of the room. Who here booked their holiday less than a month before they went? Couple, couple of brave people. Uh, did that once, ended up in a hotel that I definitely would never go back to. Um, mostly, people book holidays three to six months before they go, right? But actually, yeah, SMEs will look for finance seven days before they need it. And that's growth finance or distress finance. Same behavior. One hour researching, and 80% will go to just one business, their bank usually. The challenge with that is 80% of businesses will not be accepted by their bank. 
So then they start making late payments using overdrafts or credit cards to run their business. And all these behaviors just contribute to how fragile SMEs are. To encourage more SMEs to use finance, several hurdles have to be overcome. It's a really interesting, it's a really packed slide, but it's a really interesting one. But mostly, more awareness of the increasing diversity range of products, diverse range of products, need to be given to SMEs. So actually, to help you understand what's out there, what's good, what good rates are. The one thing I never knew anything about when I was running my own business was finance. I knew how to make a film, we knew how to release it, we knew how to do all the stuff around it, but I didn't know how to raise money at all. And there wasn't anywhere that could help me, and I certainly didn't know what was out there. The second, encourage more small businesses to seek advice. To be able to put your hands up and go, do you know what, I don't know what I'm doing, and I need advice around that. But actually, worse still, is overcoming the fear of rejection. Because that still happens. Businesses are still scared to go and apply for finance for the fear that they might be rejected, the fear it will leave a negative mark on their credit statement. Remember, 47% of businesses are permanent non-borrowers. It's not necessarily because they want to be, but, but they feel they've got no choice. So, who will own advice in a post-relationship banking world? Well, for us, for me, we believe it's accountants, right? If you think about your business, outside of your company, especially businesses of a level where you don't have your own CFO, who understands your business best? Who knows your finance? Who knows what goes in, what goes out, what you're spending on, what your business looks like? Actually, it's probably your accountant. And there's an advantage in that, right? You're four times more likely to get the funding you need when you partner with a business advisor or an accountant. And actually, beyond that, you're more likely to get more money because actually the accountant has the ability to kind of make the overall picture of your business better reflect what it is. I think that's really powerful, right? As, as banks are closing down, as banks are disappearing off the high street, having someone that can be there to support you, super important. So the future of banking and SME, um, interesting, right? PayPal is worth more than three Deutsche Banks. Ant Financial, who here's heard of Ant Financial? A couple of hands, not many though. Ant Financial are the biggest financial services firm in the world, valued at 150 billion. Not all of us know that, right? And Stripe has risen from nowhere to become a major player in the payments field. The monoliths or established financial brands still play a vital role, but their business is effectiveness, business effectiveness is dramatically decreasing under the growing pressure of disruptors. So what does the future of banking look like? Well, Frank Rotman from QED Investors talks about the Copernian revolution in banking. Anyone, a <laughs> bit of a history lesson here, anyone knows what Copernicus was famous for? Any history buffs? Copernicus said, really simple statement, that Earth revolves around the sun, not the sun revolving around the Earth. Simple statement, right? Nothing in the world physically changed because of what he said, but yet it changed everything around our understanding of the world. 
And the same as that geocentric model of how we looked at the world, the same as the geocentric model of banking at the moment. Banks historically have worked under the assumption that they must compete across a suite of banking products and must serve all clients across consumer, across SME, across corporate, through all channels. And that produced significant and solid returns for many, many years. But actually, that's no longer true. So what is the Copernican leap in banking? Well, simply, it's to be able to offer your best products and capabilities to others, other institutions' customers. Be willing to replace non-core products and capabilities with best-in-class offerings from third parties. So actually, rather than a bank offering everything to everyone, it will be a bank offering the best insurance services, regardless of who that insurance is from. It will be Apple offering a credit card that's completely different to any other credit card, but that's underwritten by a bank. The interesting thing here is actually, people were asked if PayPal offered banking services, transactional banking services like Starling or HSBC, would you be interested? And the majority of people under 35, 54 years old said yes they would bank with PayPal. Same with Google, same with Amazon, same with Apple. So the future may well be that actually these trusted brands, these devices that we have in our pockets, may also be our banks. We trust them and we have that much kind of power into what they do. Of course, debt finance isn't the only route to market. And actually, as debt funding changes, as business changes, as business needs change, SMEs are becoming far more aware of the alternatives to traditional funding. 52% of SMEs are now aware of peer-to-peer -peer lending. Five years ago, it's 47%. 70% are now aware of crowdfunding platforms. Again, 60% five years ago. 69% of SMEs are now aware of venture capital. And of course, open banking, which is really changing the way we're going to bank. If you look at your accounting software now, your accounting software can get bank feeds. Actually, your bank can get bank feeds. So you can have an account with Barclays, but actually aggregate that all into one place. So it's not just the bricks and mortar that's disappearing. It's the fundamental beliefs and structure of how banking is. And we're in a real period of banking revolution right now. Ultimately, it means more choice, better choice, more innovative products. But it also means a lack of advice, a lack of skill, and a lack of ownership. Which is kind of what I said there. Um, alternative funding will continue to rise. SMEs will have to look outside to seek support. And that's kind of where I see the vision of where banking is going. So, kind of covers everything, really. Thanks very much for listening. It's been a pleasure. I will obviously take any questions, but... Um... Well, let's do that. Thank you. <laughs> Phil, here we go. So I've got a question for you, Phil. Um, yeah, go. When you talked about previous lives, previous careers, you're sort of self-confessed, not across the finances yourself. With hindsight, do you wish you had been? This has been a theme through the day of what we wish we'd known more about. Yes. Well, much like Carl, right? So Carl spoke earlier about how he was a programmer. Ah. And he, he wished he'd kind of done that. Yeah. Actually, I always had an interest in banking and finance. I always had an interest in those kind of conversations with SMEs. So I actually totally wish I'd done that from the start. Yeah. 
We've made a fast, smoother career journey, for sure. Well, we're going to keep you here, if that's all right, Phil. Thank you very much. You want a fun fact about Copernicus, by the way? Go on, then. Well, when he published his book, 1543, only mild controversy. (laughs) Seriously, only... It wasn't the bombshell that we now think it was. It took six decades for the Catholic Church to action that in any way. Wow. And really flip out. And actually... Someone had been talking about those other 16 centuries earlier. So it does make you think, actually, who is speaking about what you've just talked about today? It's not the bombshell that we think, but it is coming. It is a big, big tidal change. Uh, Phil, ladies and gentlemen, Phil Hobden, please have a seat. There we go. Have you said it? Um,